0: To all you parents out there, I'm convinced that one of the strongest ministries of the reality and power and necessity of the gospel is for your children to be in a class like this, watching you listen, learn, take notes about the Word of God. Amen. Amen rather than to say you know they're just other things in the morning we're tired we can't get up in time that's a gospel presentation to them that the gospel just simply isn't as important as as other things in their lives good morning folks i think I, i i think i have correctly now the schedule of what we're going to be doing for the little bit of future I misspoke last week because I I didn't quite hear from the Holy Spirit. Last week, I think I said today would be the last one, and then we have um, the breakfast time. There I was wrong. I met with one of the young guys in the church Monday, and we were talking about the class and everything. And I said to him, I said, I absolutely have no idea of how to proceed after last week's class. This is Monday. I had no idea how to proceed. Now, I know you may find that strange, but I I cannot go to the next lesson or cancel whatever Unless I know what the Lord tells me to do, A.J., I, I really can't. I find that I, I can't do it. No, I, I'm able to, but I better not. And I had no idea what to do. So I told him that. You know, I said, I'm in a quandary. I don't know whether this has happened before because typically I have, you know, okay, here's what we're going to be doing and next week and what, whatever. And so this is how it goes. And then I, Tuesday, it came to me. Now, I thought of what to do. Now, did you hear what I said? I said it this way purposefully. Because when I say, and it's not wrong to say this, I thought of what to do. Where does it put the emphasis upon what? I thought. Now, did I think it? Yes. But the question is, why did I think it? And Steve, what would be the answer to that? Why did I think what I did? Can't hear you. Because the Holy Spirit said this. Jason, you got that? It's not wrong to say I thought. But it's less precise. So I. I felt the Lord give it to me. You miss a major point here. I mean, Mike, have you ever been in a class and been teaching and you realize the next week you missed a major point? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, what was I thinking of? (laughs) This is common. We're talking about how is God glorified in our lives? Now, look, there's one way God has glorified in us. Just one way. And Jesus is talking about this. When he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me. What? And I knew you, you will bear fruit. Remember that? So what does he say in verse 8, 15, 8, John? In this way. Is my Father glorified. Now we have to remember verse 8 of chapter 15. That you what bear what? What 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 word? What's that's an adjective defining adjusting the word fruit. This is the way God is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove or manifest or demonstrate. That you're my disciples. Do we see that? Now we've discussed all that part. This morning, what we want to discuss, and for the next two Sundays, then on September tenth, we'll have our fellowship breakfast. Okay? We want to discuss the enormously significant subject. If the teacher tells you, you must do this. If you want to pass, you, ha- you got to do it. You just got to do it. What is your question? What had better be your question? What? Come on, someone say it. It's okay to speak. How many of you know this lady who just sat next to Wendy. This is Julia. She is Wendy's daughter. Did you see the way she looked at you? She needs a ride home now. (laughs) You see, this is slick. She didn't get upset. She just smoothed the way through it. But how are you getting home, Mama? (laughs) What was I talking about before I interrupted myself? if the teacher says you ha- i know I'm I don't want to get too long on this I know what happens to me you have to you have to have this you have to do this what should be your question someone already said it what how how to do it in order to pass this course and get your degree you have to know this you have to do this And the question should come out of your thought, what? How do I do that? Will you tell me how I can do that? So when Jesus says, this is the way God is glorified. In other words, this is the only way that you fulfill the eternal creative and salvation purpose of God. He has created and saved you for one purpose only, Charlie. And that is, in you may be manifested the fruit of the very person, ministry, character of Jesus himself. Who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians one fifteen, Which then fulfills, let us make man in our image. Do so you see how the word of God ties together? Are we seeing this? These are not isolated verses. This is a comprehensive understanding and presentation that God has given us in his word and so you have to know how to do this and so how do you do it so what is Jesus answer what does he say listen to it in verses one and two my father is the vine dresser remember in the beginning of chapter 15 my father is the gardener Every branch that bears fruit, he what? Prunes. Why? That it will bear more fruit. The more fruit answers to verse 8. In this way, my father is glorified that you bear much more fruit. And so glorify my name. Glorify me. We have to know certain things about pruning in order to be able to walk, receive, understand, be active in, and successful in this whole process of pruning. Now, how many of, you've, how many of you, when you hear the word, God is going to prune you, How many of you kind of like, "Mm, mm." come on, you can raise your hand if you want to. It's kind of like, what? I mean, he's going to what? Prune. Why? Because what picture do we too often have when it comes to pruning? Tears, shears, hurt, uncomfortability. Do we see that? And how many of us can say, not theologically, but actually can say, I love to be pruned. (laughs) Bring it on, Lord. Prune me all you want. We don't like it. And I believe the reason is we often or maybe we too often have misunderstood the meaning of pruning. And so what we want to do today is talk about the meaning of pruning. Now, there should be in your notes. I felt the Lord give me five questions about pruning. Do you see them? We're going, begin, we're going to begin to answer these five questions. This morning, we're going to answer, what is the meaning of pruning? What does it mean? Then in the next two weeks, what is God's motive? Why is God pruning us? Those two things are very important. Then why do we need to be pruned? How does God prune us? And what is the final effect of being pruned? All right? So we're going to talk about those. What I want to do is discuss the meaning of pruning first. We don't have the time to do this. If this were a classroom, I'd ask each one of you to take out a little piece of paper and with your your pen write out what does pruning mean. And how many of us think we can really do well with that? it's, It's one of those words we've heard a lot, but we're not sure what it means. And so let me give you an illustration of this. And the Lord gave me the. Reminded me of Jeremiah 18. You remember Jeremiah 18? How many of you remember the beginning of Jeremiah 18? And Jeremiah, I mean, the Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I want you to go down to the potter's house. And I want you to take a look at what he's doing and how he's doing it. Because what he's going to do with Jeremiah, he's going to show Jeremiah a picture of, of his pruning activity of the nation of Israel. So let's talk about the potter and his clay. And I think I have, is it outlined in your uh, notes? So let's talk about this. Now, this is critical to get this picture in your mind because if we have it well fixed in our minds, it will really help us to have at least the initial understanding of what pruning is all about. So we're going to look at the potter, the example of the potter, as an example of pruning. What is the first thing that we must notice about the potter and his clay? You have to start here. Too often we want to jump to things quickly. But we must begin at the beginning and make sure we understand the most fundamental truth about the potter and the clay which is again the most fundamental truth about God's pruning us if we don't get this right we were going to be wobbly if you would in our understanding and in our reaction and walking out it. what is the first thing we see the potter I'm not sure how I have it listed in here but there's a potter now, what is a potter? <clears throat> the potter has a desire. Hold on a second. Let me get my water. Think about that. What's the, what's the potter's desire? What does a potter want to do? He wants to make a what? A vessel. Do Oh, you with me? right next to that word I said, vessel, right out Second Corinthians 4, 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This should come to your mind immediately when I use the word vessel. What's the first and most significant truth we know about pruning in relation to this example of pottery and potter? The potter's original intention why does the potter want to have the clay and begin to work with the clay here is a man could be a woman but okay here is a person who wants to create a vessel and i'm going to go beyond the scripture a little bit and i think it's okay Here is a man who wants to create a vessel that is so beautiful, so indicative of his lovely wife. Right, Charlie? Your husband wants to show you in this vessel who you are to him. Do we hear that? Do we begin on that basis, Phyllis? Are you with me? Get the intention first. Because if you miss this, you will miss what pruning is all about. So does this begin to help shape your understanding and concept of pruning? How many of you that this helps? This potter has a zeal to demonstrate how much he loves his bride how beautiful she is to him how worth her worth to him and so what is he going to do he's going to create an extraordinary vessel that no one else can duplicate And when he does that, the final result will be a double result. People will look at the vessel and say, how much did that man love his wife? How wonderful she was to him. How important she was to him. Do you see that? But then there's another revelation when you look at the vessel. What is it? The extraordinary, intrinsic in himself love that he displays. Are you with me today? Yes, this woman is the object of his love. But more extraordinary than that is the reality of his love for his wife. Are you with me today? I really have to ask this. Are you you getting this? This is the revelation that we have in Christ. That we are the vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For we have this treasure. Who? Jesus. We had this treasure in earthen vessels, or clay pots, some people say. That the greatness of the... Uh, you see, if I don't say it straight on through, who can say it for me? We had this treasure in earthen vessels so that the, what? Say it again. So the greatness of his power may be demonstrated, what? In us. It's all about him, Warren. And God's demonstration of who he is and his glory and his splendor and his honor and his worth and all that we can say about God is going to be collected and then manifested in his son who will have a bride called the church. Now, so the potter goes into the world, into the field. And the field is filled with clay, trash in it, dirt in it, lumps, bumps. And the potter surveys the field of the world. We're the clay. We're the clay. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into the world. And there's the clay. And some way in this unique potter, he understands what clay, where it is that needs to come into his workshop. Are you with me? He's not choosing the clay that yells out, See, clay can't speak clearly. It has dirt in its mouth. No, the clay is dead in itself. It has no intrinsic worth. In other words, in itself, it can't make of itself a worthy vessel. Is this surprising? Is this new revelation? You can't do it. You can't. And so the potter goes out. Now, now look at this. He grabs this lump of clay. Can you imagine the potter picking up that lump of clay? I mean, why didn't he pick up this lump of clay? Because this lump certainly is a nicer lump than that lump. Come on, how do we think? Come on, are you with me this morning? He picks up this lump of clay. Ugh! Disgusting. No, really. Are oh, you with me? In itself, what? Dirty, nasty, disgusting. It ain't got nothing to present itself to the potter to say, "Hey, to get me, you got something." <laughs> You see, Pam, those thoughts ain't no good, are they? So he picks up that lump of whatever it is, and he brings it. Sorry. He pays the price to buy it. Now, whose is it? Whose lump is it now? The potter's. Jacob it's his. It's his lump. And he brings the lump into his workshop. And he puts it on the spinning wheel. How many of you know life is like a spinning wheel sometimes? Mm, What's happening around here? And he begins to spin the wheel with a lump of clay on it. See, don't let them call you a dizzy dame for nothing. Spinning, wheel, Okay, whatever. That was a freebie, you know. And what does he do? He takes his hands. Those hands that are so gifted and anointed that can take a pile of trash such as that. And form it into the most beautiful vessel you have ever seen. So he takes his hands. And puts them in the water that's next to him. The washing of the water by the word. Somebody said that somewhere in the scriptures. And he begins to put his hand on the clay. On the formless lump with the water and begins to press against pressure against the formlessness of the clay and begins to slowly but carefully tenderly patiently if you would forgivingly Lovingly, he begins to apply his hands against the clay. Why? Because you see, this clay is going to be a picture of his beloved. Do you see, are you with me this morning? This is God's work. And he begins and more and more as the clay is spinning and the more he presses, puts his hand in the water and comes back and puts the pressure in this area then changes to another area and does an inside pressure and an outside internal and external pressure inside of, outside of. Slowly what begins to be seen as we look at that lump that was ugly What do we begin to see? Taking form is a what? A vessel. And we look at it and say, what an artist. Jackie, what an artist this man is. I've never seen anyone with this kind of an ability, Farrell, I mean, this man needs to get a medal. He needs to be esteemed and honored. We need to tell everybody, Carolyn, about how great, incredibly anointed this artisan is. That's what's happening. as he takes that junk and takes out of it and pressures against it, inside and outside, to form a vessel. That when the world looks at this vessel, they will see the great work of a mighty God who loves this vessel as the content of his own glory. Do we see this? This must be the picture we have when we talk about pruning and fruit and vines and branches. This is the outworking of the gospel, is it not? And finally it's finished. Now I'm gonna skip the, the heat part and all that, that, you know, but and we finally he takes this vessel and he puts it on the shelf. Now, how important is that vessel? It is priceless. Jack, it's priceless. It cannot be purchased with money that would in any way be indicative of the heart of this potter for his vessel, for his wife. How do you, what money value do you put on that? What monetary value? You, You don't put one. You can't. It's not there. The moment you put one, you have restricted the value. Now, looking at that vessel, understanding that that vessel is Christ, that that vessel also represents us, can we now look at Second Corinthians four seven and hear? the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit, as he says through Paul, we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you feel the heartbeat of the word treasure and value in that verse? Now, here's the question. As the potter forms the vessel, uh, the, uh, the clay, into a vessel. What two things are happening simultaneously. Two things are happening simultaneously. The formlessness is going, being formed out by the pressure, and the form is developing, being formed by the pressure. Of the potter, do you see it? Two things happening simultaneously: the lumpiness, the ugliness, is being formed away, if you would, and not formed well, pressured away, if you would, and the form is taking place now. How is this vessel formed? This vessel is being changed. It's being changed from something that was a pile of gook to that which is a most valuable and beautiful vessel. And that change is what the word fruit, a uh, prune, means. It is a word that has to do with change, alteration. Remember that? Can we remember that, rather? So the meaning of pruning has to do with cleansing. Cleaning, removal of anything or any impurity that would inhibit the growth and the development and the revelation, etc., of the fruit of Jesus' life in us. And so the pruning process in relation to the potter and the clay is the activity of the potter. Who has in his concept, in his mind, a vessel already made in his mind. You see, Gwen, he's just forming that which is already according to his original intention. Correct? Before the foundation of the world. And he's bringing it into a time reality. And he's had this vision for this lump of clay for whatever time period, and then one day he chooses, today is the day that I go out and buy that piece of clay. This is the day that piece of clay comes into my house, and now it's mine forever. So do we see that this clay belongs to God from the very beginning? And is God's all the way through the process? Do we see that? We're talking about the clay of the church being formed and in fashioned into the very being conformed into the very image of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 8:29. For we have been predestined to be conformed to the image. Remember Genesis 126? To the image of God's Son. Put it all together and let's see the Bible as a comprehensive revelation of this incomparable God that we serve, whom we serve. Rather, So what does pruning have to do? It has to do with God's work of cleansing us, of purifying us of removing from us, of adjusting us to take a form that's a little bit, a little lumpy on this side, and let's do it this way. We're going to get that lump out of there, and a little off center here, and we're going to move my hand over here, and he's making us into that vessel, that vessel that is absolutely perfect, that vessel that glorifies him because it says, This is an artist that I have never seen the likes of before. Never have I seen this kind of workmanship being displayed. You know, I want to look at one more verse, and I'm not sure if I had it here. I think I left it out of my notes. Let's turn, somebody turn to John chapter 13, verse 10. John chapter 13, verse 10. Somebody have that? John thirteen, ten. It's in the New Testament. Somebody have it? Cody, read it. Now, I know you have a big mouth, so speak it up so we all can hear. Go ahead. Does it say completely clean? You are totally clean. That's what the word means. Now, Jesus says, remember the night that he was betrayed in John chapter 13? He he got up, took off all his outer garments, he got a basin of water, and began to wash the feet of the, the disciples. Do you remember this? And Peter said, no, no, not me. You'll never do it. And Jesus said, hey, 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 if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. Then. Of course, Peter says, wash all of me. Pruning is the activity of the Holy Spirit under the leading authority of God the Father according to the purchase of Jesus. We have been purchased with a price to conform us to the purpose and intention of God to glorify himself in us. As Jesus is manifested in us, and so Jesus says, "You are completely clean. You've already been washed." We see that because I've read things about pruning, and the sometimes the, the preachers or teachers say, "Look, if you don't get pruned, whatever," and they begin to put pruning on the basis of keeping your salvation and whatever. It is not it has nothing to do with keeping our salvation. We are already purchased as a lump of clay by the potter who brings us into his house. Whose are we? This is not a matter of whose we are. It's a matter of now that we're his and this is what he's going to do. Jesus says, you're completely clean because you've been washed by my Spirit. How many of you understand that in God's sight, in the sight of God and in the economy of God, according to the purpose of God, being accomplished at the cross and being applied in the resurrection, ascension, and so on. How many of us know we have been completely cleansed of all the, what, defilement and separation activity of, God, of our sin? How many of you know that? Are you completely clean? Are you completely clean? Are you sure of that today? Because you see, if you're not sure of it, then you're going to waver and have difficulty in the activity of pruning. You're going to think, what is happening to me? Have I, have I done something wrong that God is now punishing me? Has this come upon me because I'm no longer saved? Are you, are you with me on this? We have to make sure. That our hearts and our minds are grounded in this. If you are saved, you have already been completely cleansed or cleaned by the shedding of the blood of Jesus at the cross. Amen. What did he say in John 19:30? It is finished. The whole thing is paid for. Jesus then says, All you need now is for your feet to be clean. How many of you have either children or grandchildren? Warren, you can raise your hand on that. You, you, you meet both. It's okay. We have children and grandchildren. Now, to whom? do those children or grandchildren belong? I refer to my grandchildren as my children. It's a biblical thing because grandparents often in the Bible are seen, you know, as kind of, okay, fine. They're my children. These four are my children. Ashley is my daughter. I say my, not leaving Jean out, but it's, you understand that. They're mine. But when they're playing outside in the dirt, My wonderful children, when they come into the house, need what? You better start washing your feet off, kids. Wash your feet. It has everything to do with the daily life in the corrupt world that we get dirt between our toes. (laughs) We collect dirt as we live in the world. Are you with me? And that's what needs to be cleaned away. That's what cleaning is all about. It's just the removal of the impurities and so on that are in us because we're coming out of the dirt and we're still living in the dirt. But we are still absolutely clean of the issue of the authority and dominance of sin in our life. The penalty has been paid in full. And so. No longer are we being judged by God. We are his children. Now we have to deal with the presence of sin, the presence of sin. By the way, authority, Satan's authority has been broken over us. He has no more. But he still has power over us through temptation, correct? So next week we want to talk about the next couple of questions here. Yes. That would be one of, the, one of the confessing sins to one another is one of the cleansing way, the ways that God uses to cleanse us. Yes, it is. It's a continuing cleansing act. There are a lot of ways God cleanses us. We'll talk about a few, but that would be one of the ways. So thank you so much. Be back next week, hopefully.